Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Chelsea. I'm Alicia. And this is Camp Final Girls. Everybody. Hey, Welcome everybody. Back. Welcome. Welcome us too. So <clears throat> let's tell you a story about why this is coming out so late again. So, it's all her fault. <laughs> so apparently, now we know it's yours. <laughs> we literally recorded this entire episode last week. Yeah, last, no. No, was two it? weeks ago. Oh, God. <laughs> we recorded this um, last two weeks ago (laughs) and the whole time Alicia kept saying there was this weird like humming sound like almost like a feedback sound but I didn't hear it at first Mm -hmm. and so we just recorded and she's just (laughs) trying to ignore it and then I started hearing it in the episode I was like that's weird I don't know what that is maybe it's because I'm using my daughter's cheap ass headphones (laughs) because my function again but uh yeah so then I went and I uh, was editing the episode and I heard the sound the entire time and I was like there's no way I just kept like I was like well let's let's well, oh well we'll just release it and then after my two weeks went by I was like I can't release I that. know I, I felt the it. same way I was like <laughs> well when I heard it I was like there's no way like these people are gonna be like fuck these bitches <laughs> yeah well, it's so crazy because I've just been going through this weird like it's almost like depression but not quite you know and so I'm trying to get back out of it and it's just like I, I don't know I'm feeling like I'm starting to snap out of it a little bit that's mm-hmm. why I feel like I, I care it's probably because actually. you've been it's probably because you've been going to the gym and it's kind of like building up yeah. your yeah I think Endorphins. I need to start because I I've suffered depression for a very long time for years when I was younger and throughout my life so it's like for me it's almost like a norm so well but there are like times everybody goes through their version of yeah either slight depression or even just anxiety and sometimes I'll get really bad anxiety like lately I've been having a really hard time at work because we literally are so short-staffed and people just keep quitting left and right and it's like it freaks me out so bad that I'll be like my I'll have like tight chest and like a dry throat while I'm at work and mm-hmm. my manager will walk by and she's like are you okay and I'm like no I feel like I'm having like a panic attack Mm-hmm. like a part of me thinks like I, maybe I need to go see somebody and get like I feel like I do have like um, anxiety pretty bad because I yeah. get so stressed and then I'll like manic clean like today I just cleaned my apartment top to bottom and try I'm, to like, take like a deep breath because my therapist actually told me about this and she said if you do that like for like a minute and then kind of add like a minute every time, like if you just kind of take a deep breath and like breathe in and like hold it and do it like little exercises, then it'll kind of help you. Although at at the moment, it's kind of hard to think about that. But I did have like an anxiety attack on Friday. And then I kind of thought about that a little bit. And it kind of helped. But you know, I was kind of going okay, through some. But why is my video looking like I have a lazy eye right now? What? Do you see that? Look at this eye. <laughs> it's because your glasses have glare it looks like one is just looking right at you and the other one's all it's <laughs> so scary I don't, want, I don't want that lazy eye <laughs> your story was making me go crass <laughs> uh, okay well uh, so this is um, part two in our West Memphis three um, story. It's only going to be two parts because I was able to somehow control myself. Mm-hmm. And also, um, do you remember, again, I asked you this last time and you didn't remember, but do you remember where we left off last time? Uh, no. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me because I also forgot to tell you guys that last time we were recording, Alicia was high up for us. I took an edible and then it like she literally hit me halfway through and I'm like, hello. Like, hello. <laughs> I was like, probably not a good idea if I'm like sleeping. I know, she's all, yeah, maybe we also shouldn't release it because I was fucking high. <laughs> yeah. 
good idea. Good idea. Okay. So last time we left off was when um, Jesse Miss Kelly was giving his confession. Okay. Which one? Which one was that one? Uh, Jesse is the one that had. Uh, uh, I don't remember if this is a part of the last episode or this episode, but he, the police basically brought him in and he just started saying like, yeah, um, Damien and uh, my friend. Sorry. so there was Damien three yes there's th- that's why it's called the west side mystery oh, okay so <laughs> there's three which one was the one that uh, eddie munson is based on so that one's damien Eccles, okay and then damien. there's jason mm-hmm. is his friend and then um J- uh, jesse is the third guy okay that he they just because both damien and jason came came in and were questioned and they both were like no we didn't do this that's crazy this and that and then jesse came in and he's like yeah I watched him do it. So, it mm. And then he just started confessing the whole story. Okay. So Jesse um, was giving the cops just everything that they needed, saying that they tied the boys up and then started cutting them and stuff. He said that he got too freaked out, so he left. He just started running. The police thought that now they had their rock-solid case. This was exactly- So did, did the police ever tell him what happened? So then he kind of like said oh yeah, yeah but I that'll did. come up later when we're in court it, it oh, okay later for sure. okay so immediately after his confession one month after the murders the police went full force to arrest jamie and eccles and jason Baldwin. on june 3rd 1993 michelle who is damien's uh cousin recalls watching tv with damien and jason at their trailer when she heard commotion outside she went to go look at the window and sees police coming their way. Damien answered the door to a gun pointed in his face and they grabbed him. Jason recalls sitting on the couch when the police asked if he was Jason Baldwin. When he said yes, they told him he was under arrest for the murder and his head started spinning. He's like, at that point, it's, I can't imagine this, but ever being accused of murder, especially mm-hmm. three young boys, you know, and he's just like, they're how just old like, were they like in high school? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Jason said when they took him to the station, they said he was under arrest because his friend said that he committed the murder. He's like, what friend is telling them? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like, I'll be like, yep, Chelsea did it. And then you're like, what? If I did, I'd be like, that fucking bitch. Don't <laughs> murder her. <laughs> um, but he just said he just kept denying everything, trying to explain where he was and what he was doing that day when the murders happened but Mm -hmm. they didn't want to hear either his story nor Damien's they were being held on three counts of capital murder which you know capital murder Mm -hmm. depending on the state you're in could lead to the death penalty um the next day chief Getchell held a press conference claiming that he had found the murderers a reporter asked how strongly he thought his case was on a scale of 1 to 10, and he smiled and said, an 11. The media was all over this, wanting every single detail, because for a month, they were on this crazy witch hunt, like, trying to figure out who killed these boys in this, you know, pretty safe neighborhood in such a horrific way, and they wanted this person's blood, and then they find out, oh, we have our suspects, and it's these three kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Little did they know, that the only evidence that the police had um, against these boys was the confession of Jesse. His confession got leaked to the Memphis Commercial Appeal only 48 hours later, which is the biggest newspaper in the region. Um, This for sure created the satanic panic around Memphis. Um, The fear was already there. The public feared that the devil was leading people to do heinous crimes, including murder. They believed that kids were making sacrifices and things such as using Ouija boards and Dungeon and Dragons, um, which were gateways into hell. Have you ever used a Ouija board? Uh, so when I was in middle school, um, the after school program that I was in, they would bring out a Ouija board. No, no, no. It wasn't middle school. It was elementary <laughs> school. Oh my gosh, it's even worse. <laughs> I just remember that's the only time I've ever done it because like I yes I like witches and ghosts and goblins and all that Mm -hmm. stuff I'm like a crazy Halloween weirdo but I do not believe in like 
that kind of satanic stuff you know mm-hmm. Ouija boards freak me out I actually always wanted to do it but then like I was I was always afraid of it um I remember when I was younger it was like the Ouija board and then you know light as a feather stiff as a board like that kind of thing was all around the same time it was like the rage yeah (laughs) I know but but I was always afraid of it like I remember like like hearing about people doing it but I never did it like I was always afraid I think because of like how I grew up like very religious that was like me too like I was a young kid and I was very impressionable and I had my mom who was like oh everything's the devil you can't even read Harry Potter because it's the devil and then my dad's <laughs> all you want me to rent you the Blair Witch Project like, <laughs> so the two contradictions and like yeah like you're saying it was so cool as a kid to do yeah <laughs> like why because now people always ask me they're like would you do a Ouija board I'm like hell no like I don't want it to um, use a invite. spirit board and try to talk to spirits and then accidentally invite something evil in or open a door that I don't want to be open I'm kind of like almost like would I try it like maybe but then at the same time like what you said what I don't know for me I think I would try it just for the I fun I would rather use then- like a REM pod or a um, spirit box than a Ouija board because I feel like Ouija boards are more satanic because they have all the symbols and stuff yeah whereas like a REM pod just like you know what a REM pod is right it's like a um it's a little device that like ghost hunters and stuff set out oh basically if something goes near it it'll beep oh mm -hmm. and then also um spirit boxes are like I don't know how much I believe in spirit boxes because I feel like they're super like fake Mm-hmm. but they're basically little boxes same thing you walk around and like spirits can use it to talk to you and it'll say like a word but oh that's like, like that one show right that yeah, they yeah, use yeah. that oh okay. uh, destination fear yeah mm-hmm. they use those I would rather do that because I that's literally like ghosts you know to me yeah that's like true board. I feel like you're inviting I don't I don't know uh-huh. why it's like feels different yeah but also dungeons and dragons uh, yeah i've never been in, well because i've never been interested in games like that no but that brings into the tie like they're saying these kids who are playing a freaking role-playing game are satan worshipers like that doesn't make any sense yeah but that dungeon dungeon and dragons kind of just remind me of like pokemon like it's like something yeah, innocent. it's like game of thrones meets yeah pokemon. And it's exactly. just a game. I mean, yeah, they do have like demons and goblins and this and that too. But so do a game. bunch of movies and TV shows. And so video it's like, games these days too. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's completely different than like you said, a Ouija board. That's more like actual inviting real spirits. The Dungeon and Dragons more like a game fake. It's not like you're inviting it in, you know, unless yeah. there are people. I mean, I don't really know, but I'm saying maybe there are people who are doing that, but I doubt it. I don't know. I don't, I don't see them. Game, That's what I'm know? saying. I, I really don't see that happening. So and for them to like, like say oh, that, those weird kids, they're definitely worshiping them. I think it's more probably conservative people that are saying that. Yeah. Well, and it was a, a pretty religious town too. Oh, that's why that explains it. Yeah. Um, Jason said he remembers this idea spreading of them being Satanists and the rage it created against them was terrifying. He um, basically said that like, walking anywhere into the courthouse or whatever he's like people just wanted our blood and it was scary because I was just a kid and Mm -hmm. people thought that I did this horrible thing and then they wanted to kill me for it Mm -hmm. it's pretty scary um Dan Stidham was the defense attorney who represented Jesse Miss Kelly the judge had called and asked him to represent him because he couldn't find his own representation at first, he went in there thinking, he's like, oh, this, these kids definitely did this. Um, for sure, they're guilty. Um, and then he thought, so the thing that I'm going to do, because he's guilty anyways, is I need to go in and fight for his life using the um, guilty plea in order to get the other two into prison. He's like, let's just keep my client out. He's guilty. But at least by giving his confession, he can help lessen his. Have you seen that, that show on Netflix confession confessions where like these confessions are coerced and these people like go to prison for things that they didn't do. Like it kind of sounds some, something like that. If the guys yeah. are saying that they didn't do it, but this one kid is saying, Oh yeah, this is, this happened. 
but also it's, imagine if they were such like huge masterminds and they were able to get rid of all the evidence but you know they did it because you were there but they're kids I feel like yeah. they're just not that like intelligent enough to be able to do that right and well I mean we'll talk about what comes out of the investigation which is like almost nothing so mm-hmm. that's another thing too yeah it's like if they did do this how were they able to hide it so well mm-hmm. even though they were still found guilty <laughs> um only a few weeks after his confession he tells his attorney um he's like hey i i just like i know we're going through this thing of me giving my confession and stuff but like my confession the whole thing was a lie he just decides to tell his attorney just kidding I, oh my god really like that's just crazy like how do you just confess to all this and then be like all of a sudden like this isn't yeah. like a joke you Doesn't, know yeah at all like <laughs> the circum or the consequences to that type of joke yeah serious and at first his attorney said that it seemed like he just broke and he's like regretting confessing he's like okay well everybody goes through that sometimes when they confess but then jesse keeps um insinuating that it was all made up and it was and he was innocent so stidham decides to start looking deeper into the case and start to starts to realize that these three boys may not actually be guilty the first thing he looks at is the polygraph test when they took jesse um, one of the first questions they ask him about the murders is when did they meet up with the boys? And Jesse says, oh, it was about noontime. All of the boys were last seen, though. If you remember, it was around 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. So Jesse's like, oh, yeah, we met him around noon. No, yeah, but, the, shouldn't the, but shouldn't the people defending them be like, OK, that doesn't make any sense. Like if they were disappeared at That's night. That's what his uh, attorney's doing. he's in this is before court even starts he's like looking into it to be like did my client actually do this because first he's confessing and now he's taking it back like let Mm -hmm. me see what i think yeah um so that's the first red flag to him um jesse even lies because they're like okay so noontime so that means that they weren't in school that day and jesse's like yeah they all skipped school Mm -hmm. that's also not true all of the kids were seen at school that day Mm -hmm. so it's like he's just agreeing with everything they're saying you know, yeah. even though so it basically they're sense. giving him like all this information but it's changed he's changing it up and yeah it's not like coinciding exactly it doesn't match the the narrative of the what really happened the story at all yeah yeah um so they keep pushing him to correct the time asking him are you sure that's when you met them or when you met them was it getting dark out and he's like mm-hmm. oh yeah actually maybe it was getting dark so the police literally were coercing him to match their time frame to be like, see, it matches, but it really doesn't match at all. Um, then in the confession, well, they asked, why weren't his parents involved in this? I don't, um, I'm trying to think, I think if I'm not mistaken that I know that they were, I don't know if all of them were in high school, but I think they were like 18, 19 years old. Oh, okay. So, they so they're were still, like... they're adults technically. Oh, okay. Um, then in the confession, he asked who tied the boys up and with what. And Jesse said that Damien, with the help of Jason, tied the boys up with brown rope. But if you also remember, the boys were tied up with their own shoelaces mm-hmm. and none of them were brown. So basically he's saying, oh, so they were tied up. Like what you're, they're telling them what happened to them it's like you're giving him yeah they're like oh so they were tied up but what were they tied up with yeah brown rope (laughs) and they were bleeding out where were they bleeding out it's like dude you're giving him all this stuff he's just kind of adding and it doesn't what he thinks not even matching the story so it's yeah there's i feel like they're shooting themselves in their in the foot you know yeah (laughs) um jesse had a learning disability Mm. is what they come to find out later um and he actually read at the third grade level so then that should have been thrown out his confession should have been but thrown they out. said he was really good at hiding this learning disability how if he, he has a third grade so they said that in order to not look dumb and to not get made fun of he usually agreed with whatever other people said just mm-hmm. to not look stupid like mm-hmm. he'd be like oh yeah no you're right it was that but really it's because he's not like 
his intellect isn't that high Mm -hmm. so he's just digging himself further into the grave without even knowing it because he wants to agree with the person who's talking to him just that he could not stop receiving oh wow that sucks yeah horrible um the judge decides to try damien and jason together but have jesse separated um in his own trial they do this so that they could use jesse's confession against the other two boys prosecution begged him to use his confession and they would take away the death penalty from him but he refused telling them that his confession was a lie mm-hmm. he's like i don't care if you want to take away the death penalty like i lied that confession wasn't true yeah without this confession they had to go through everything they could in order to find evidence to tie them to the murders because remember that was literally the only piece of evidence that they had mm-hmm which I don't understand how you could go to trial for something you don't have evidence for, but whatever. Um, 10 months after the murders, on February 28th, 1994, Damien and Jason's trial begins. Jason remembers going to the courthouse and just hearing insults and death threats coming their way. People wanted them dead. Without the confession, the prosecution needed to convince the jury that these boys committed these crimes. It wasn't going to be too difficult, though, since the whole world believed that they did it anyway. It's like, even though there's no evidence, the world just thought they did it anyway That's because they guilty. were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, that, it's crazy. They're automatically guilty no matter what, yes. which is so sad. It is because they don't even have a chance. To yeah, with. because even the jury, like, you know, like cases like this, it's all in the media and they tell the jury, like, you don't watch this, don't listen to this, but how can you not? yeah you're in society like it makes me think of though like the casey anthony trial and like everybody wanted her blood too and they all thought that she was guilty and then she still didn't get found guilty which is crazy that one was crazy yeah that's crazy um so brian rich starts on the stand with his testimony of retrieving the boys bodies out of the water and they show the actual crime scene photos and this is like the um, prosecution's way of pulling at the heartstrings of everyone in the courtroom because they wanted justice. Mm-hmm. When the defense goes on, they bring up the event that happened the same night of the murders. You remember the manager of the Bojangles called about the black man who came in with blood and mud and left it everywhere. In the oh, world. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and another thing, too. Like, and they didn't even look into that, right? No, remember that cop didn't even go inside. She went through the drive-thru, talked to the manager and said, that's weird. I have a kid I'm looking for. What the heck? It's like, yeah, maybe that blood and butt have something to do with it. Yeah. So the um, defense asked this manager, they're like, what happened when they went back to the restaurant to collect the evidence and what happened when that evidence was tested? Like, whose blood was it? Who's, mm-hmm. Who was this guy? Did they get anything? Um, he said, though, that the, uh, sorry, no, the detective said that the samples were never sent. And he said that the reason why the samples were never sent to be tested is because they were lost. So this basically, this man could have been the murderer and he got away with it simply because they didn't test it. And it's so crazy because he left evidence everywhere, you know, like what mm-hmm. if he did, and if he didn't kill these boys, then who did he kill? yeah like did they even collect it or did they just say that say it was lost but they really didn't get it who knows exactly crazy i feel like that's more likely them saying it's lost because they actually didn't collect it and how would they know i don't know evidence gets lost all the time which seems insane you're like you're like collecting this for a crime possibly murder that you're about to go to trial for especially like if it not that it's okay or anything but if it was a cold case or something like that Mm -hmm. that happens all the time but the fact that it's like active and we're currently investigating it it's just it's just crazy um next to the prosecution sends pathologist frank peretti to the stand he is the one that did the autopsies on the he tells the jury that the um, genital mutilation done on christopher byers happened while he was still alive he said that he lost a lot of blood and says he died due to this injury. They say it was caused by a serrated knife. Wow, um, that's so sad. 
it is and like this kid dies of this injury to like a very you know personal part of his body that he's barely probably just discovering you know and it's Mm -hmm. like the act on that like caused him to bleed out and die and then again if you remember like there was no blood at the crime scene so where's where's all this blood if that's literally how he died yeah exactly for all of them yeah about three months before the trial they sent divers to a pond behind jason baldwin's trailer to find evidence after diving for only an hour which that's pretty quick the diver Mm -hmm. comes out of the water with a serrated knife peretti says that this knife could have been one that had committed the crimes oh i hate that i hate when they say that yeah and i'm like how can you admit evidence that could be yeah don't they have to test it like and be like okay this is what it you know? matches like yeah the marks or something i mm-hmm. i thought so i don't know uh <clears throat> but the defense says that any serrated knife could have been used they're like oh well, yeah, jesus I christ i pulled a knife out of the kitchen of the courtroom <laughs> this could have been the murder <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, defense then argues that um, Peretti claims that Byers had blood to death, but again, where was the blood on the crime scene? Um, mm-hmm. With the injuries that the boys had had, there would it would literally be impossible for there not to be blood found. Um, defense then, oh sorry, that's the same thing. Um, <laughs> the prosecution brings up Michael Carson, a kid who had spent time with Jason Baldwin in the juvenile detention center. So it's really crazy when they get this kid up onto the stand on March in 1994, Michael gets called to the stand and he was in juvenile hall for theft where he met Jason. He claims that while serving time together, Jason confessed to him that he did commit the murders. He said that Jason told him that they dismembered the bodies and said sucked blood from the scrotum of fire. Ew, oh my yeah. god, that's so, so gross. This is just crazy to me that this kid went to first of all, he's in juvenile hall for stealing something, and he's rooming with this murderer who killed three little boys. Mm-hmm. And first of all, that's crazy. Second of all, he's just like, Yeah, he just told me like the second conversation we had that he did this, this, and this. Which and makes so, no sense. Yeah, and Jason said he remembers being in court when this was being said about him and his attorney said don't show any emotion don't have any outbursts while these lies are being spewed about him like imagine somebody saying that about you and you just have to sit there and be composed like I get pissed if people tell say that oh she was being so rude to me and I'm like I was not being rude but I have had very horrific things said to me and there are times where I've kept my composure and there are times where I have not because it's not easy. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's not true. When you're being accused of something, but especially something so heinous, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's tough. Like there are times you can that you're able to because you're like, okay, you know, it's not real. This isn't what happened. You're like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, but like, it's, and right. Imagine for him, it's in a courtroom. Where exactly. To judge the fate of your That's, life. And that's tough because you're around all these people and they're like, sometimes when I'm at work and I'm kind of like getting emotional, I can't hold back because I don't want to show emotion while I'm at work. So it's like, so that times like that, I feel like is a little easier to hold back because you don't want them to see, like, it's almost, you feel like embarrassed. Yeah. So, so maybe for them, it's easier because you're in front of all these people. But when you're alone, I feel like you can let it out. You know, yeah. but I guess it also depends. Like you're being accused of murder and all these yeah. heinous things. It's like who knows like, how you sucking blood out of the scrotum of a yeah. That thing. I that's like oh I don't God. even know if I could be like yeah. I'd be like, what the hell? I didn't do that. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like oh, in shock. Yeah. yeah, that's so crazy. I I wouldn't be able to hold my composure, and mm-hmm. he just had to. Um, So then the defense had to cross-examine what Michael had just said, and they were asking him, why would their client confess this to him after just meeting him? Why would he incriminate himself like that? And they believe Michael was just doing this to get a deal on his own charges to, like, 
less innocent. Yeah. Um, prosecutors had to present their motive. For them, it was the satanic cult practices. They bring in Dr. Dale Griffiths um, to the stand. He was an expert on the occult. They asked him about the lack of blood at the crime scene. And he said in the occult, blood is usually stored for later use, consumed or bathed in. Then why was there no blood? They kept it as a life source, but where was the blood? So he's like, yeah, there could be no blood at the crime scene because maybe they collected it all and kept it somewhere. And they're like, okay, well, they searched everything that they owned, everywhere that they lived, every mm-hmm. nook and cranny. Where's all this blood at? Like, yeah. that would be tons and tons of blood. So they brought up um, Damien's ties to the occult. They bring about the notebooks of drawings and writings from Damien's um, that they had taken over a year ago. They also talked about a book that he owned on witchcraft called Never on a Broomstick. Um, He says that in the book, there's a chapter called Rise of the Devil that was underlined in red. Then he brings out um, the drawing of um, Baphomet, a half-human, half-goat that they found in his room. Um, this image is often used in the occult literature. Then, then they also bring up the fact that he wears black all the time, paints his fingernails black, and they have dark hair against them. Like they're using the way they choose to. Um, what's it called? Dress. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but express themselves. There, uh-huh. That's the word against them, basically. Well, my sister, she she. My sister dressed in black, so was she murdered? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I wanted to paint my nails black so bad because Miley Cyrus was doing it. And my mom Mm -hmm. was like, no, that's of the devil or something. I was like, mom, Miley Cyrus plays Hannah Montana. I'm pretty (laughs) sure she's not of the devil. And then now I'm like, well. You're like, maybe she is. (laughs) Although sometimes I like black. It looks kind of cool. Oh, no, I love there's black on my fingers right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, We're almost out of time, but I'll try to finish another thought. Then the defense gets on the stand to question Griffiths. They ask about his credentials. What classes did he take between 1982 and 1984 to obtain his Ph.D.? His PhD came from a mail order college where he didn't even attend any classes to get this degree. What? Yeah. Which I'm like, sign me up for that class. I want to be a doctor. You're like, I will be a doctor next week. (laughs) That'll be me. Don't you forget it. He claims he read a lot of books and papers to get his credentials of a PhD in four years. But this school he went to would literally sell a degree to anyone like one of those types of schools you know just mm-hmm. pay enough money got your phd wow um, defense asks his testimony to be wiped but the judge says you don't have to have a degree to be an expert witness which wow that's interesting yeah but it's like how can you not check somebody's credentials for their like phd mm-hmm. to in order to be a expert witness like what that's- yeah that sounds kind of odd um, the prosecutor tries to then tie the boys physically to the crime scene, and they bring a lab technician named Lisa Sakovicius, Sakovicius, Sak- <laughs> I don't know, who knows, I'm sorry, to the stand. She said that when examining the clothes of the murder victims, she found something out of the ordinary. On Christopher Byers' black and white shirt, a red rayon microscopic fiber was found. They present, um, then they present a possible match to the fiber, a mm-hmm. red bathrobe at Jason Baldwin's house. She says it is microscopically similar. This means that they have some of the same char- characteristics, but it doesn't mean that it's a match. She talks about the secondary transfer, saying that the rope wasn't there at the crime scene, but it could have been transferred from the home to the crime scene, which is mm-hmm. like, she's like, oh, look, there's this red little piece of string on this kid's shirt and then this guy has a red robe in his um house he did it (laughs) jeez Uh, yeah okay so the defense then decides to put damien on the stand 
they start to ask him about um, his interests. This 19-year-old said that he was into skateboarding, television, and reading books about different religions. He said after his interest in Catholicism, he got into Wicca. He talks about it being light and how it follows a goddess. He says this is not sat um, not a satanic religion. It's completely different. And the prosecutors talk about his ties to um, Satanism instead. Mm -hmm. They talk about his book, Not on a Broomstick. He said the underlining and notes were not from him. He said that they were in the book when he bought them from like a library. Yeah, which does happen a lot. All the time. Yeah, all the time. The prosecutor then takes their turn on the stand to question Damien. They start by um, testing his knowledge of the occult, asking if he's a, a familiar with um, Alastair Crowley, who was a cult leader from England in the early 20th century. He believed in satanic worship and the sacrifice of children. So oh that's, they're like bringing this guy up because they're like, what do you know about him? Yeah. Damien said he was familiar about him, but he never read any of his works. Um, prosecution believes, though, that he's lying. They say that they think he's lying because they bring out a piece of paper that shows he was trying to teach himself how to write in code. Um, on this page, he had names listed. There was his name, Jason's name, and Alistair Crowley's. Then but who doesn't try to write in code? Remember when you were like a kid and you're like trying to like oh, yeah. hide it from your teacher and like I would try to be like um the hieroglyphics, you know, like the Egyptians mm -hmm. had. I'd be like, a bird means boy, okay, friend. <laughs> so, like secret notes about boys, duh. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, like Alistair Crowley, that's a pretty interesting name. Mm -hmm. So it's like maybe he was just trying to do that name because it's like Damien's easier to figure out Jason is but what about Alistair Crowley that's a weird yeah thing. nobody will figure that out then he tries to talk about his interrog interrogation where Damien knew pretty incriminating information about what happened to the boys but Damien insisted that whatever he said was either already public knowledge or the police had coerced him into agreeing with them mm -hmm. after two days on the stand it's time for him to step down they're just basically trying to be like, look, you drew this crazy thing, or look, you wrote about this, or you're reading about that. It's like, well, yeah, I'm into different religions, like mm -hmm. just researching it or whatever. But what does that which have to do with murdering who... little boys? Like, I don't understand that. Which does happen, like, yeah. Like, Unless if you think about like, it. I'm going to murder these little boys, or he was writing the little boys' names. Because how many people have taken classes for the occult? And they have yeah. to have all these books. They're taking a class. So yeah. he may not be, but it doesn't matter. He might He's be one curious. Just, yeah. And, but again, although that might be abnormal or might be seem weird to some people, what does that have to do with murdering boys? Yeah. There's no like indication that he said or did anything. Yeah. Just because somewhere, somewhere he wrote down some weird guy's name who just so happened to believe in sacrificing children mm -hmm. doesn't mean that's like he murdered children yeah their their jump to like conclusions is just baffling to me mm -hmm. um <clears throat> now it's time to put jason on the stand or so that's what jason thought he was like okay now it's finally my turn to tell my side of the story mm -hmm. but that's not what his attorney decides to do instead he decides to keep him off the stand so that all of the focus is on dean then they go back to the red fibers found on the scene. The defense puts Charles Lynch to the stand. He has, um, he is a hair and a fiber expert out of Texas. When he looks at the fibers compared, he says that he doesn't think they are similar at all. Then Jason's lawyer arrests his case, trying to hide, ride on the coattails of letting Damien's defense team fight all of the evidence. So he's like, Basically, Jason's attorney is like, this is the only piece of evidence that ties my client supposedly to these murders is that you found a red fiber over there and there was a red fiber over here. He's like, that that doesn't have anything to do with it. And did the red fiber come from there or they're just no, saying? No, because yeah. um, the prosecutor's expert witness said that they were similar, but not sure if they're the same. Just like the knife. Then, it was similar, but exactly and then their their expert witness is saying that they're not similar at all mm -hmm. so it's like they're not similar and they're kind of maybe a little bit 
now. That's he's so like, crazy. He's like, go ahead, let his um, attorneys fight the rest because that's the only thing tying my client to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, on March 17th, 1994 is when closing arguments begin. The prosecutors decide to make Damien Eccles look like someone without a soul, killing these kids in a satanic ritual. Then the defense argues that all of the evidence doesn't link someone to murder. Just because he's a teenager who wears black doesn't mean he's killed for Satan. Jason's lawyer gets on the stand and argues the same thing, that nothing links his client to these murders and guilt by association is an unfair thing. So basically Damien's lawyers are like, uh, just because he likes rock and roll and wearing dark clothes and reading about other religions doesn't mean he killed boys. And Jason's lawyer is like, yeah, and just because my client is friends with that guy doesn't mean he's guilty either. Yeah, exactly. They're just making assumptions. Exactly. Not, there's no hard evidence being like, he definitely was mm-hmm. at least at the crime scene. Nothing ties any of, any of it together. Then, during jury deliberations, Jason and Damien share the same room. This was the first time that they got to interact um, since the trial, or since they got arrested, basically. And they didn't talk about the trial at all. They just ate snacks and played video games. This is basically what Jason was saying. He's like, we didn't even want to talk about that. Because, I mean, why would you? That's kind yeah, of crazy. Like all consuming. But imagine that's the first time you actually get to talk to you. Like, imagine if you and I got arrested for murdering children. And this is the first time we actually got to talk to each other since that happened. Yeah, I guess that's true. That'd be like, kind of hard. You and I got accused by, um, you know who? That used to be our friend of murdering children. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Imagine if that happened. And then we're just like, okay, because because I have like skeletons hanging in my Well, that's true. I feel like (laughs) me and you would want to talk about it. And that's all we would talk about. Uh, I'd be hard not to talk about it. I'd be like, can you believe that bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then on March 18th, 1994, after just one day of deliberations, the jury announces their decision. The verdicts are then read in court. They are found guilty on all counts of capital murder for both boys. Even without like real hard evidence? The jury still thought they were guilty. That's so crazy. I don't know how, I'd be like, yeah, but he was writing like, stars inside of circles that's weird he definitely (laughs) i can't imagine i want i wish i could be a fly on the wall when that was happening yeah because that's Mm -hmm. how 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 could you think that they did this because like you said it's in a lake behind their thing and it's a conservative place so they're gonna they already found him guilty without hearing anything or found them i think it's bullshit because it's like whoever actually did these murders like got away with it just because they're like honed in on these boys and didn't even investigate any other lead didn't even investigate a man going into a restaurant covered in blood like why didn't you follow that lead that doesn't make any sense yeah exactly that seems more likely yeah like but then again the the guy the kid freaking confess even though it was like bullshit still yeah and that was after like a month of looking and then but they were looking for them they were already thought they were guilty before he confessed, you know? Yeah. It's weird. Um, The following day, they go to the courtroom for sentencing. Jason is given life in prison without the possibility of parole, and Damien Eccles gets the death penalty. Oh my god, that's so sad. So he's like the ringleader of this supposed satanic cult. But um in a separate trial jesse miss kelly is also found guilty on all three counts of murder and is also sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty they all file for cases of appeals as they wait for this to happen they adjust to their new lives in prison because you know when you apply for appeals it could take years yeah get a yes or a no you're going to court Mm-hmm. Um, as child murderers and sat- satanists they were outcasts and pariahs of their new homes um, Jason like recalls literally having the shit beat out of him constantly because people thought that he killed and sexually assaulted little boys you know and- yeah a lot of times like anybody that has been involved in a child crime it doesn't matter abuse whatever it is they are like singled yeah. out no matter what they will kill them 
at times. Sad. Imagine being a kid yourself and going yeah. to prison, being accused of that, never having like had it gone to jail or even juvie for anything else in your life and you get mm-hmm. thrown into full ass prison that's so sad because how many how many people have gone to prison for things that they didn't do that's just a lot so sad. But you know what also i think of sometimes like a either people get away with it or sometimes there's just not evidence so sometimes they they get let go eventually and then they actually did do it you know that's yeah and too so it's like mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> it's hard it's hard with that one because yeah I would feel bad for people who do sit in prison who actually did it but again like it's sometimes people get let go and they did it Mm -hmm. so I don't know I guess God makes those decisions Uh, (laughs) so in 1996 the Arkansas Supreme Court makes a decision on the appeals that they had filed they decide to uphold all convictions um, in the same year, HBO releases a documentary called Paradise Lost about these trials and murders. And this created a firestorm of advocates for the West Memphis Three. Kathy Backen is a co-founder of Free the West Memphis Three. When she saw this documentary, she just knew that they were innocent. So she gathered friends to see if they thought the same. Um, so they wrote to the three guys in prison and they got letters back they decided to go to arkansas and visit them in person they go to dan Stidham's office who um was jesse's lawyer Mm -hmm. um and where the lawyer told them that if nothing was done for these boys that they would be stuck with their verdicts forever because can't you only appeal a case like twice i think i think so yeah something like that especially if Mm -hmm. it's like a capital crime like that Mm mm-hmm Um, They created a website with as much information as they could give of the case, of all the evidence, and even of what the guys were doing in prison. Um, They became viral with support from their peers and celebrities, um, celebrities such as Metallica and Johnny Depp. So it's interesting because these like very specific like niche celebrities were advocating for them because they were similar to them Mm -hmm. you know like johnny depp wore bracelets and had black eyeliner and black fingernails and everybody wanted to fuck him versus (laughs) these kids yeah (laughs) you know they just thought they were guilty because they were freaks but it's like Mm -hmm. what but but yeah it's interesting how strong the support grew for them too Mm -hmm. then in 2001 they get a break when a new law passes allowing inmates to request dna testing if they think it can exonerate them in a case they have to agree that if the the test further convict them that they will also take that chance so it's like all three of them damian jason and jesse have to agree like yes we'll do these dna testing and if if it says oh no yeah you are guilty then it's like shut up and we'll just stay here anyways but Mm -hmm. if not then hopefully it'll exonerate them um, all three of them, though, have to agree to this or it can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, Jason didn't want to do it because he was scared of what would happen. But it's like, but he knew they didn't do it, you know. Yeah. So Judge Burnett approves the motion two years later. So finally, like, Jason's like, you know what? Yeah, just do it. And then the judge is like, okay, uh, two years later, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Oh, wow. I just can't believe how long it takes. You know, you're just sitting there rotting in prison. I know, like for these crimes you didn't commit, you know. Like I went crazy for two weeks in my bedroom when I had COVID. So I can't imagine two years in prison where people Mm -hmm. think that you murder children. They're probably just fucking with you all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, So Judge Burnett sends 80 items from the evidence to the lab for testing. At first, one thing they noticed um, that stood out to them was that the West Memphis Three had um, no DNA at the crime scene at all on or on any of the clothes of the victims, which is like, that's, how is that even possible that mm-hmm. no, none yeah. of them had any DNA anywhere involving this crime? Um, when examining the shoelaces, they, that were used to bound the boys in particular that of Michael Moore they found a hair this hair didn't match any of them either Peter Jackson you know who that is 
Yes. <laughs> Peter Jackson actually got together a team for them um, to help them out, including FBI profiler John Douglas, who was like this huge profiler at the time. He did like big cases back in the day. Um, and he took a look at all the evidence and concludes that this was not satanic at all in nature. But mm-hmm. he said that whoever do that do this, whoever, <laughs> whoever do this, um, knew all three of the boys. Um, so they took a look into the parents in particular, one who has remained in the shadows this entire time was Stevie Branch's stepfather, Terry Hobbs. He was never officially questioned by police which is weird, like, you would think the people who are closest to these children who were murdered so brutally, why would you never be questioned by police? Yeah. Like, everybody should be questioned by police. Um, so they decided to look into his statement. He says that on the night, that night around 5 p.m., he took Pamela Hobbs to work, then started to look for the boys around 6 p.m. But according to their investigation, there were no searches in the woods at the time he claims to have been in. The boys weren't even reported missing until 9 p.m. So he's like, yeah, it's weird. I took my wife to work at 5. I came home at 6, and I started looking for them. And they're like, what are you even talking about? They weren't even reported missing until 9. What search were you doing? Yeah. The investigators Ron Lax and Rachel Geyser decide to go to his home and surprise him early one morning. He invites them in, and they start talking about what happened that night. He tells them his story, then at one point gets up to leave the room. Rachel, thinking on her toes, grabs one of his cigarettes from his ashtray for his DNA. (laughs) Results confirm that DNA from the saliva on the cigarette matched the hair strands found on the crime scene. The police then brought Terry Hobbs in and questioned him. Oh, your sister's nervous. (laughs) Sorry, guys. He argued that he is innocent and doesn't know what happened to the boys that night. So they let him go. Wow. Which is literally the only DNA found on the crime scene was his. Like, I'm not saying that makes him guilty, but how does that make the West Memphis three guilty? Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of strange. So they decide with this new DNA evidence that comes about stating that none of them were there. They decide to file another appeal with the state of Arkansas to the Supreme Court. On September 30th, 2010, Damien's lawyer argues his case in court. Weeks later, the court ruled that the, with the new evidence, the judge must reopen the case. The former Judge Burnett was elected to the state Senate, so he couldn't be the judge to oversee the case again. Judge David Lasser was assigned to hear the case. Before he could look into the evidence, the prosecution calls and asks if he would consider taking the Alford plea. So, um, have you heard of the Alford Alford plea before? Mm -hmm. So the Alford plea, I I don't know why anybody would ever agree to this, but it is what it is, I guess. This basically allows the defendant to plead guilty to the crime, but then they would be let go. So it's like, yeah fine okay i'm guilty and then like okay now you're free to go but but yet they found out yeah because but if they all the evidence didn't match them why would they i think they were still scared to go to court to be tried for it again because they're like we had no chance chance of winning last time and literally no evidence pointed towards us so true they were just like well prosecution was like okay then are you willing to do the alford plea like you guys could go but uh you have to admit that you did it so um what's crazy too is um jason baldwin was like i'm not gonna say i did this i'm innocent why would i go and say i did this but Mm -hmm. then his lawyer was like i understand why you would want to do that but like look at damien if you don't say yeah i'm guilty and then everybody goes free damien's gonna get killed he got the death penalty and so yeah it's like okay he like was willing to sacrifice for his friend even after all this time because he's like yeah i'm not gonna let my so they all have to agree to it for it to happen oh, okay yes. same thing with as um their last agreement that they gave to so um they finally could go free after being in prison for 18 years and 78 days <laughs> on august 19th 2011 all three of 
boys appear before Judge Lasser, and the men took the deal and were let free. Even Christopher Byers' stepdad says um, outside of the courtyard when he hears that this happens, he's like, good, I'm happy this happened. I don't think they did it. I think they're innocent, and I think that Terry Hobbs is their killer. <laughs> like, imagine if he's, like, put in on blast Terry Hobbs and Terry Hobbs. Like, who knows? He could have done it. Yeah. I don't know. I, there's no there's no further investigation into that mm-hmm. which, is, which is so sad it is because it's like the I real killer went away got away with it he could have maybe it wasn't him though who know? who knows because like the fact that his hair wasn't the crime scene is like well yeah he lives with one of the boys yeah so hair could be there mm-hmm. um, david or david dan stidham says that they even found partial dna on one of the penises of the boys that points towards another completely different person who doesn't match the West Memphis Three or Terry Hobbs? So there, wow. there's even D- how would DNA from a, a third party that nobody knows who it is come on to one of the boys' penises? Yeah, like, that seems very personal. So they're like, um, Dan was, was even saying like maybe it's a serial killer. At that time, there was like the truck stop killer was happening. Like mm-hmm. could have been. Um, so where are these boys at today? Jason works for Proclaimed Justice. He um, basically this this um, organization works to help the innocent get off who had been convicted to be found guilty, mm-hmm. which is so um, like pleasing that he gets to do that now. And Jesse still lives and works in West, West Memphis today. So imagine like getting out of prison after 18 years of your own peers accusing you of this crime it's just been like oh i'm just gonna stay here and work here it's gonna be fine. no there's no way i would leave no, i would bang the block on mm-hmm. and damien eccles is now a producer writer and artist who lives with his wife and like you all know he is has a huge character based off of him in the number one tv show in the world right now eddie munson so yes that's, that's so that's crazy story. i know and when i i actually i had heard of the west memphis three before but i didn't realize that until i saw an interview with the duffer brothers who do stranger things and they were talking about mm-hmm. eddie munson and how he was based off of damian eccles and i was like oh that'd be interesting to do that story then because i know i knew that damian has been out for years now so yeah but can you imagine like it's great now that they're out and they all have their own lives and they have stuff going on but can you imagine being locked up for two decades for something that's really sad you know they were in there for so long like i just can't imagine we're so sad for them a fourth of your life yeah it's crazy but it made them into the men they are today i guess true (laughs) i guess but okay hopefully this works this time <laughs> i know <laughs> we could start releasing on a regular schedule yes um, we need to because i get happy every time we do it i'm just like for some reason i'm always like oh i gotta record and then i do it and i'm like okay good <laughs> i feel happy yeah. that i did that and then you guys like listening to it and i like telling these stories so yeah we do appreciate we it thank it. you everyone yeah every, seriously you guys are awesome because i see the listens come in even when we're not releasing episodes and i know when my favorite podcasts don't release episodes get really frustrated i'm like what are they doing having a baby who cares <laughs> <laughs> what happened to these people and we like it it's just like oh i had to clean my apartment so. <laughs> <laughs> you're like i'm but tired today i'm tired every day what's fucking new i'm almost 30 so oh i don't even want to hear it right then. <laughs> I can't imagine how you feel. Probably yeah. A withering old hag. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I was talking to my, my boss the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I just feel so old. And she said the same thing. And I was like, I know. So imagine how I'm going to feel at that age. <laughs> Great. Yep. <laughs> That's why I'm working out, guys, and trying to eat healthy so I can get back into the swing of things. Mm-hmm. This, this ain't it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, next week is Alicia's turn. Thank oh, God. God. It's like it's been no. months since I've heard you tell a story. So. Well, thanks, be everyone. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it is. It's going to be. 
Okay, well, look forward to that, guys. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Bye.